0: The podcast from Belmont Chapel in Exeter, sharing the story, living the life. For more information go to belmontchapel.org.uk Good morning, it's lovely to be able to share with you this morning. Thank you to the band, thank you to Andrew for uh, leading us uh, so well this morning. It's been a joy to be part of worshipping together, so it's great to be able to come and to speak with in a continuation of our series. Now, our series entitled Freedom, as you can see up on the screens, we're looking at Paul's letter to Galatia. This is the fourth part of seven, which to my maths means that we are halfway through in our plan to encompass the whole of the letter. Now, today, we're going to be concerning ourselves with some verses from the end of chapter three. We're going to go into chapter four, But actually, it's quite a long section. So what we're going to do for the sake of time this morning is we're going to miss out the midsection where Paul diverts back into an autobiographical uh, few words. And we're going to miss out that, but I'm going to leave that for you to think about maybe in your home groups as you continue to think about exactly the same uh, words that we are considering in our morning sessions. Now, I'm sure by now you're pretty much familiar, I would guess, with the circumstances that prompted Paul to write to this group of churches that were scattered across Galatia. Churches, of course, that he helped to establish um, a few years previously. Now, if you'd like to catch up, however, uh, with the series so far. So if you want to go and find out what's happened in 1, 2, and 3, well, you can do that in a variety of ways. You can either go to the YouTube channel uh, for Belmont Exeter, and then you can see the live stream again, or otherwise you can go straight for an audio file only off the Belmont website, but you can catch up. Paul's main concern for his friends in Galatia, you'll recall, is that they are being led astray. Some had joined the church... And these new converts from Judaism were starting to teach a different gospel. Instead of teaching a gospel of grace and freedom based on the work of Christ on the cross, that that was sufficient for faith, they were teaching something else. They were teaching instead that in addition, you needed to adhere to the Jewish law. So it was Christ plus. And this was causing an awful lot of trouble. Now, this is what we find. Because Paul is rightly incensed. He says this, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. And as you'll have noticed already, Paul is very consistently equating the good news of Christ as being the gospel of liberation, the gospel of freedom. And it's that theme that we're going to return to again as we've already explored in our time of worship together in the first of our two readings, which Chris is going to bring to us. Thank you, Chris.
1: Uh, So Galatians chapter 3, and we're going to start reading at verse 22 And then go over into chapter 4. So Paul says this. The scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin. So that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law. Locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. You are, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ, um, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed uh, and heirs according to the promise. What I'm saying is this. um, As long as the heir is a child, he is no different from a slave. Although he owns the whole estate, he's subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also when we were children... We were in slavery under the basic principles of the world, but when the time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave but a son. And since you are a son, God has also made you an heir. Uh, And can I just interpose? Sorry, Nick, but um, it said neither male nor free. So when um, Paul says you're no longer a slave, but a son or a daughter, let's be inclusive, shall we? Sorry. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not God's. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you're turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You're observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you.
0: Thank you, Chris. Chris is going to come back and read to us a little bit more um, as we work our way through this. Okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to consider the first section under two headings. And then we're going to have a third heading, which is going to be the one that comes after um, Chris reads to us again. We're going to think about a new family. We're going to think about a new freedom. And we're going to think about a new future. So this is the first one, a new family. Look again at the verses from the beginning of the section if you've got the Bible open in front of you or we want to read it from the screen. So in Christ... You are all children of God through faith, for all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor three, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. According to Caroline Rush of the BFI, the fashion industry's total contribution to the UK economy is estimated to stand at about £37 billion per year. And this is the thing that fascinated me. The contents of the average UK household wardrobe is reported to be worth about £4,000. Clearly, they haven't looked in my wardrobe. (laughs) Now, in part, of course, this this obsession with what we wear is fueled by an erroneous view that our clothes define us. And it's a lie, actually, to some extent or another that we we all subscribe to, to some degree, as the proliferation of all of the must-have brands are going to testify on the high street. Now, in Paul's day, the clothes you wore spoke volumes about you. They described your gender, they described your ethnicity, they described your status, they described your age. A Roman boy, for instance, exchanged his striped tunic for a plain one when he became an adult, around about the age of 14, interestingly. Important Roman men wore a toga that had a purple border, whereas slaves, well, they only wore rough clothes, unrefined garments and no shoes. And people from different racial groups wore different styles of dress. They did it to identify their ethnicity. So all in all, the clothes that people wore revealed an enormous amount about them. In contrast, however, Paul says in verse 27, when you became Christians, you were all given the same set of clothes. For you are all clothed in Christ. Now, we have to be careful here. Paul's not saying, of course, that the the cultural distinctives of of Jewish and Greek society suddenly got removed. But what instead he's saying is that there is in Christ a, a new identity, a new group created that includes all social diversity, generates this never experienced before unity within it. It is God's new family. Now, this idea would have been radical to those who were teaching that the Jewish law needed to be upheld within the Christian faith amongst Jews and non-Jews. You see, what these teachers were trying to do was to to perpetuate social distances and social distinctions. They saw separation as being something to be valued. And Paul says, no, it's nothing to be valued. It is a millstone around your necks. They are arguing, of course, that they are special because they were children of Abraham. But, as we saw last week, as Paul Cook explained this verse to us, Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham, all nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. Unfortunately, of course, we, we all fall into this trap of attributing value to people through very similar polarizing lenses. We forget the fact that the good news of the gospel transforms relationships, breaks down barriers. Social, cultural, sexual differences hold no particular currency within the economy of God's kingdom. And if we want evidence of that, then all we have to do is walk through the pages of the gospel and walk in the footsteps of Christ. So these verses were nothing short of revolutionary for the Jewish Christians in Galatians who who were trying to force their Greek brothers and sisters to live according to Jewish traditions as a price for the acceptance of God. And I think they're just as revolutionary today as we seek to be salt and light in our divided world. They call upon us to accept people To love people, whoever they are, from wherever they come from, from whatever background, from whatever situation they find themselves in. And I think that that is a real challenge for us. But it isn't one that we can ignore. We're all called to be part of God's new family. Now, if you'd like to think a little more about this, about what we can learn from the Gospels, about Jesus' approach to people from different backgrounds and cultures, then why not drop in uh, one afternoon, starting on Sunday the 31st of October. We're going to have a series of sessions entitled Difference. The details are in focus if you want to follow the links and find out more about it. Five Sunday afternoons, thinking about how we can engage with people where they are, despite the difference that they have from us. Let's move on then. Let's think about uh, the second part. We thought of a new family, a new freedom. Next section of Paul's writing needs a little bit of unpacking because actually it sits within a within a cultural framework that isn't quite so familiar to us nowadays. But let's read a few verses, shall we? What I am saying, says Paul, is that as long as heirs are underage, they are no different from slaves, although they own that whole estate. They are subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by their fathers. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Within Roman law, a young man reached maturity at an age that was set by his father. Now, more often than not, it was it was kind of roundabout the age of fourteen, but this was entirely flexible, and so the father could set the age at which the son went from minority to majority. Now, if the young man's father died during that period of minority, then the young man was placed under the supervision of a tutor until, as Paul writes, the set time was reached. For that period of time, well, the young man was unable to access his inheritance. As Paul puts it, he was no better off, really, Than a slave, even though technically he had title to all of the estate. A tutor was appointed. A tutor took on the the dual role of guardian and also trustee. The guardian looked after the well being, the education of the young man, the trustee managed the estate and the money. And that period of slavery, as Paul describes it, was one of submission, it was one of discipline. It extended, as Paul writes in this verse, until the set time had fully come. Then, overnight, the tutor was dismissed, the young man was free to enjoy his inheritance. And what it appears that Paul is arguing for here is something similar happening for the whole of humankind. It's not so popular nowadays, is it, to use the BC and AD suffixes that create separation point along humanity's timeline. But there does remain a defining moment when minority becomes majority, when law gives way to grace. And it's a moment that happened at Christ's death and resurrection. And so this idea of slavery extends to everyone. For the Jews, it was slavery under the basic principles, as the message paraphrase helpfully translates the end of verse 3. That is, God's plan, not fully revealed, held under guardianship by the law. And for the Gentiles, he goes on to talk in in verse 8, that includes, of course, the Greeks who Paul was addressing to. They were slaves to those who, by nature, are not gods. And that's a comment, of course, on their polytheistic pagan culture. Scott McKnight, who we've, um, we've quoted a couple of times during this series, writes this in his commentary. However you look at it, this earlier period of human history was characterized by slavery. Slavery to the fundamental components of the old order of things. Jewish law, pagan gods, or human philosophy. The precise nature of the jailer depends on how and where you were brought up. But Jew or Gentile, enslaved, is what we are. But now, says Paul, everything has changed. Verses six and seven. Because you are his sons, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls our Abba Father. So you are no longer slaves, but God's children. And since you are his children, he has made you also heirs. Look at what we have. We are a new. Na- we have a new nature. God's Spirit within us. We have a new intimacy that allows us to approach God as Father. We have a new destiny, as co-heirs. So Paul's question is this, why on earth would you turn back? Do you wish to be enslaved all over again? We're going to have a second reading in a moment, but before we do that, I'm going to recount a story that the 19th century preacher C.H. Spurgeon used to tell. It was a story that was told to him by one of his fellow ministers who one day went to the home of an elderly woman to give her money for her rent as a gift from the church's relief fund. He knocked at the door several times, in fact, but there was no answer. A few days later, he he happened to bump into the woman in the street. He discovered, in fact, that the woman had been in the house when he called. She had heard him knocking. So he asked the obvious question, why hadn't she opened the door? She replied this, I heard the knocking, but I thought it was the rent man coming to evict me for what I owed. Paul is encouraging his friends in Galatia to embrace freedom, to recognize that the debt that we owe as described by the law has been fully met through Christ. So God doesn't stand at the door of our lives as a ruthless rent man demanding payment. Instead, he comes as a generous donor to provide it.
1: Let's read on. Chris. So we're going to go to the end of chapter 4 now and start reading from verse 21. Uh, And Paul says this, "'Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says?' for it's written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born in the ordinary way, but his son by the free woman was born as a result of a promise. These things may be taken figuratively, for the women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. For it's written, Be glad, O barren woman who bears no children. Break forth and cry aloud, you who have no labor pains, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you brothers and sisters like Isaac are children of promise. At that time the son uh, born in the ordinary way persecuted the son born by the power of the spirit. It's the same now. Um, But what does the scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman.
0: Right, okay. Uh, some reasonably complicated words, but we'll wend we'll, we'll our way through them if we can. Uh, we're going to think about our third point, which is um, a new future. This final section of our passage uh, is another of Paul's lessons from Jewish history. He keeps going back into Jewish history, doesn't he? he? He does it, of course. You must remember that these Greek Christians don't have a Jewish background. So in some ways, he's informing them. But in other ways, I think what he is doing is he is explaining the way that the Jewish converts to Christianity are approaching the story. So they are approaching it from their history and these Galatian Christians need to understand the context of the Jewish story. The story comes from Genesis 21. It's the same story that Paul Cook referred to last Sunday morning. God has promised Abraham his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the night sky. But Abraham, being a very practical man, knowing his wife, if you recall the story, his wife Sarah was well past childbearing years, couldn't see how this could possibly happen. So Rather than relying on God's promise and God's power, he instead took matters into his own hands. And he had a child with Hagar, a slave woman who was part of their household. However, God was true to his promise. And soon after Sarah also had a child, the result, as Paul describes it in verse 23, was this His son by the slave woman was born as the result of human effort. But his son, by the free woman, was born as the result of a divine promise. Paul then goes on to say, these two wives are linked to two sons, are linked to two mountains, and are linked to two cities. Although he's very clear to say, I am talking figuratively. So for those Jews who are seeking to insist that keeping the Jewish law was a necessity, for all of the Greek converts in the church in Galatia and for everyone, Paul's words at first glance would have been really welcome. You see, they'd long argued that the world was split into two distinctive groups. There was Jews and there was non-Jews. As God's chosen people, they believed that they were the elite, the ethnic elite, They were uniquely blessed by God. So anyone who wanted to enjoy God's favor had to become a Jew. That's what they were arguing for. So this cultural and racial distinction needed to be maintained in their eyes. But Paul develops the argument in a completely different way. You see, it's not that these two groups correspond spiritually to two races... But instead, they correspond to two different kinds of religion. One is characterized by slavery, represented by Hagar, Ishmael, Sinai, and the earthly city of Jerusalem. The other is characterized by freedom, which is represented by Sarah, Isaac, Zion, and the eternal new Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And Paul argues that these have always been at odds with one another. One is born of human effort. One is of God's grace. Born literally in the case of the story, of course. That is what we discover. One is marked by slavery. The other is marked by freedom. One is temporal. The other is eternal. Sarah and Hagar, if you know the story, became rivals in Abraham's household. The descendants of Isaac and Ishmael have been at war in the Middle East ever since. And this interpretation of what for the Jewish Christians in the Galatian church would have been one of their most favorite and cherished Torah stories must have been shocking. There are, says Paul... Two distinct groups of people. You're right, he says, there are two distinct groups of people. But the distinction has nothing whatsoever to do with race. But everything to do with Christ. So we have a new family, we have a new freedom, and we have a new future. That's what faith in Christ brings us. But the question for each and every one of us this morning is have we moved from slavery to freedom? Have we accepted God's offer of salvation? Have we accepted that gracious gift obtained at such a cost by Christ on the cross? Have we opened the door to the one who is knocking? Or does ours remain still A religion of works, one where we feel that perhaps if we're good enough, we'll be able to approach a holy God. If so, then that is a religion of human effort. And if it is that one, then we are all slaves. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word we thank you for the fact that we can read it and share it and we thank you for your holy spirit that illuminates the words on the page to our hearts and minds heavenly father we thank you too that all of us who know christ who have been brought into that new family know the delight of being free Heavenly Father, may that not just be in our heads, but also in our hearts and in our hands. May we take that freedom and live that freedom. Help us, we pray, to do that in each area of our lives. But Heavenly Father, we also recognize that for many, they are still without Christ. Not in that new family, not In that new freedom. They don't have that new future that Paul talks about. That eternal new heaven and new earth. And Heavenly Father for those we pray. That they may come to faith and trust. They may recognize the need of moving from slavery to freedom. Of moving from works to Christ. And Heavenly Father, we continue to pray for those. Maybe within this congregation, maybe sat here today, maybe those we know in our family, our friends, our neighbours. We continue to pray for them. That they may come to know Christ. That their lives may be turned from slavery to freedom. They may know liberation. And they may have hope for a future. A hope-based hope based not on a maybe, but instead on the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we pray that that may be true. We pray for those people. We pray for our part in being salt and light as we continue to share the story and live the life of Christ. Amen. Amen.